0: Well, if you have your Bible with you, we are in Revelation chapter 17, Revelation chapter 17. And uh, as we're kind of going at this pace, we're kind of doing about a chapter a week. And with that, we have another study guide out there somewhere. Nelson put one out last week. I put out one this week. And we're just going to continue to work through the chapters as we do. And uh, someone said, how did we get Sodom and Gomorrah in Sunday school and Revelation 17 on the same day? We did not plan it that way. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? And that's what we know. It's all good and necessary. But uh, we've had a lot of big dose of judgment and wrath and all those things today, haven't we? If you're in Sunday school... But uh, I pray in all things, God is glorified. What I want to do today, because I realize these chapters are getting longer and standing for that whole time is getting harder, uh, even for myself reading it, to be honest with you, what we're going to do is just read the first main point section today. We're going to cover all chapter 17, and as we go through it, we'll just read it as we go through the points. Does that make sense? So if you're able to stand this morning, if you'll join me, and we'll start in verse one of chapter 17 and go down um, through verse, uh, well, actually, we'll go down to verse six, it's a good uh, breakup point for us as we go through these things. And what I want to look at today is what I'm called God wins over scammers. Scammers, you know those calls you get on your phone that says possibly spam or scam. There are people here in chapter 17 who look like the truth, act like the truth, talk like the truth, but are definitely not the truth because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and only he can say such things. So we pick it up now in a new cycle. If you've been with us in Revelation, we've gone through four cycles of seven. Uh, Nelson just went through the seven bowls or seven vials last week. We're now in the fifth cycle of six starting in chapter 17, verse 1, to chapter 19, verse 10. And then we'll be going through those the next couple weeks. But this is a new vision he sees, John does. But here he picks it up in verse 1, and this is what it says. This is God's word this morning, ESV translation. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls, go back to chapter 16, came and said to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute. Or if you have a King James, perhaps harlot, Or the woman who played the harlot, who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth, earth dwellers, had become drunk. And verse 3, he carried me, the angel did, away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, and holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written the name of mystery. And this is what it said, quote, Babylon the great, mother of prostitutes, and on earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly." And we are going to cover all chapter 17, but I just want to especially read that. This is a tough chapter, and I think any preacher, any pastor, any Bible commentator will be honest to say we plant our flags here in very shifting sands because this, this is, I've said this every week, but I truly think I mean it this time. This is probably the hardest chapter in the whole book of Revelation. They just keep getting harder and harder. But in all seriousness, uh, there's a lot. I'm going to give you different interpretations of what this is. We're going to get the big ideas out, as we often do. But I want you to know that you're going to say, this means that, yeah, maybe it means that, maybe it means this. But the point of it is, is that God wins. And that's what I keep going back to. It really is about that. But I want you to see this morning seven things the world is going to try to do to take you away from Jesus Christ. And they all start with an S because I'm a Baptist, and it's, it's, it, that's how we roll. Amen? And that's what we do. Will you pray with me this morning? Let's go before the Lord, and we will get into our our topic from there. Father, thank you for this message. It's not a message, Lord, that uh, in our flesh we would want to speak of. Father, we love things that are easy to understand, like love and grace and and mercy, even though they can be very deep and wide at the same time. But, Father, we we hesitate, I think, often, Lord, to talk about the things that are hard, the wrath, the judgment, the things that we're going to read about today. But Father, we are grateful that all those things are necessary to understand, even in part in this world, who you are and what you have done for us mostly, finally, once for all in our Lord, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we once again open a difficult passage, may whatever is on our minds, our hearts, whatever is in front of us in our day, our relationships, our jobs, our church, our families, our house, whatever, that it's laid aside. May we see you higher. May we see us lower. May the gospel be even clearer. We pray these things today in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Well, as we go through these things, I want you to know that Revelation chapter 17, and and for some of you, it's probably a good thing that the PowerPoint went down because I had a picture of a black widow spider that was going to be up there. And if you know anything about black widow spiders, you know that the females are often much larger, in fact, almost three times larger than the males, and the females will make such an intricate web that even uh, designers from armies and all sorts around the world will study those as ways to make bullet protection even better because they're such a strong, silky uh, thing. But the web is laced with pheromones. You know those things that females put out males that want you, make you want to go chase after them? That's what the female spiders do to the males. And they get the males in and they end up mating together. And that sounds great. Happily ever after, they walk off in the sunset like some Disney movie. Not how that works. If you know anything about spiders, especially black widows, you know that black widows are cold-blooded killers. And whether they like it or not, the males are going to die. After the mating process is done, so long males. And I'm going to submit to you today that that is how Revelation chapter 17 works. There is a web being spun by the false teachers and ways of this world that look enticing, but lead to harm. And in fact, are deathly, if they can say such a thing. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that appears right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. And so friends, the bad news is we live in a temptation that everywhere you go, there is temptation. We live in that world. But the good news is, is that your Savior was tempted just as you are and was without sin and can lead you through those spider webs of this world to get you to glory as he brings you home. Are you plagued by temptation today? Are you looking around your world and saying, man, I see this happening in my life. Ooh, that looks good over there. Be careful where you look. But know that your Savior is able to save you through all those things. Ladies, That should, I don't know if that, makes you, that illustration makes you feel better or not, but all the guys are shaking. I'm looking out, and all the guys are like, where is this headed today? But I want you to know our Savior loves men and women. Amen? And he's not a cold-blooded killer. He was, in fact, the slain one for us so that we could go to heaven for our sins, or to be taken despite our sins. Our big idea today, it's on your bulletin, is take caution. Take caution and take comfort because our faithful God will destroy the unfaithful. He can detangle the spider webs, He can take the, 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 the sting out of the deadly venom that comes from all the things of this world that Satan throws at. Look, so believers, we've died to sin, but sin has not died to us, it's still there. And as we enter Revelation chapter 17, we're going to see once again Satan and all his minions trying to take people like you and like me who know Christ as our Savior away from the things of Christ. That's really what it's all about. You're either in Christ or you're in Adam. You're either for Christ or you're against Christ. There's no middle ground. And so that's what we're going to see today. Seven things that are going to happen as we go through this time. Nelson, bless his heart, I, I, I joked uh, with him that we don't usually leave passages as long as what we did last week. But Nelson did a very, very good job last week walking through a very difficult passage. He may have taken like a five-day nap, but nevertheless, uh, he, we got through it and we are blessed through that. But this new cycle starts, what you're going to see in your Bible is that word Babylon. You're going to see that word come up again and again, chapter 17, chapter 18, and into 19. And Babylon is representative or symbolic of all the terribleness, all the evil, all the sin that this world has ever known or will know. So I want you to know that as we enter in. But what is the first thing the world tries to do as it tries to knock us off our horse? And I'll repeat these a few times for those of you taking notes. First off, it is suggestive. It's suggestive or, or scandalous, if you want to put it that way. In verses 1 to 5, you see this suggestion. It is that it is an extension chapter 17 of what we saw in chapter 16 and you see that this terrible thing comes up there was a there was a prostitute or a great harlot that came and it was there because the judgments of the world were coming on this prostitute or this harlot and and, and it's not so much about what the, what the prostitute is right away but it's 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 a terrible picture it's a terrible terrible picture The women of the night, the women of the the red light district, whatever you want to call them. We have bad connotations when it comes to that word prostitute or harlot. But this is not speaking of some physical person walking around the streets looking for pay. If you look at verse 2, it's a suggestive seduction because with whom it says the kings of the earth committed sexual immorality. We're talking about spiritual adultery here. We're talking about people who are lusting for power and stuff and things of this world that are taking them away from worshiping the Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ. Friends, there is nothing new under the sun. Is there? The sins that were terrible 50 years ago that went away through the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s are still coming back. No, I'm not talking about bell-bottom pants. That might be close. That's a bad joke, by the way. But I want you to know that the cycle continues. What you're seeing in verse 2 is a great suggestive seduction by this prostitute, this one. That's why 1 John 2.16 says, The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life have become our gods. They've become our gods. If you grew up in America, it used to be that if you didn't have the American dream, then you weren't truly living life. Friends, whatever is our culture, whatever we set up as the ideal standard is often influenced rightly in a right way at first, but often it gets carried away in a wrong way at the end. That's why in verse 3, it says, He carried me. He carried me away in the Spirit into a wilderness. Why, is, why in this vision is John being carried away into the wilderness? The wilderness is a place of protection. It's a place that we saw even in the last couple chapters where the last battle of Armageddon would happen. It's a place where God sends people who are going to be protected. And so you see there in verse 3, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, And was full of blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. What an ugly thing. If you've been around Missouri for a while, we have some ugly bugs that walk around and you see them at different times of the night, and you think, ooh, you know, what is wrong with you? This is an ugly picture. It's a terrible picture. Some people believe that this is a a picture of the Antichrist. But notice verse four. It says that she was, it's an ugly beast, but notice how it's arrayed. Look at verse four. She was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls and holding in her hand a golden cup. I mean, for all intents and purposes, this is like beauty and the beast. This is like the beast who looks horrible one day and turns into the prince the next. This is something terrible, but it's something that looks so good. She's quite attractive. And this golden cup that she has is very interesting. It refers back, if you know nothing about Revelation, you know God wins, but you know it's also a study in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 51, it's uh, it's a cup of all the enticements, all the temptations, all the things of this world are in this cup. This is not a literal cup she's holding. It's a symbolic thing. But inside there are all the great things that the world has to offer you. If you have read the book Pilgrim's Progress before, have you ever heard that old classic book? You've probably heard this phrase before, some of you older ones especially, Vanity Fair. Heard that name before, that phrase before? Vanity Fair and Pilgrim's Progress was a place in the story where the Christians would go on their way to the celestial city, but this city had everything you could ever offer, and Christians would get sidetracked going here and doing this and doing that and getting in the world in this way and that way, and friends, nothing has changed since that time. Satan's one goal is to get you off the rails with Jesus Christ, and that can be as simple and dare I even say as going to church. Because you can come to church, and you can set your bottom in the pew and warm it up, and you can sing the songs and make a loud noise, but your heart can be so far from everything you're doing that it doesn't matter what physically you're doing. Be careful how easy you can walk away, even in the intentionality of coming to church. And the idols of the heart are there. They look so good, but in the end, they're like those apples I used to pick off south of Kearney off Plattsburgh Road when I was a teenager. You bite into one and you never know if a worm's gonna go slithering through your mouth. Happened several times. Friend, that is not in our potluck today. Please do not go there. But you get the illustration spiders, worms, and apples. Oh my, right? Sorry. Look at verse five. Let's, get, let's go back to verse five. Who is this beast? Who is this prostitute? What is happening here? We know she's bringing all sorts of impurities to get people on the wrong way, but notice verse five, and on her forehead was written the name of a mystery. I want to stop right there. When we think mystery, we think of a mystery that can't be solved. In Greek worlds, in mysteries, it's a mystery that can be understood. Did you catch that? We think mystery it's unsolvable. But here the mystery. I'm not saying I know who this is, but he tells you what she's about. Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes, and on, on the earth's abominations. What he's saying is this. is This prostitute, this one who's coming, is going to be representative of every system that is opposed to Jesus Christ for all time. Some people believe this is the Roman Catholic Church. Why do, where do I get that from? Purple and scarlet are the colors of the Roman Catholic Church. That is not True. We disagree with our friends there in many ways, but I don't believe that's what's in tow here. Most commentators can agree this represents a system of government and of politics which take you away from anyone and anything related to living for Jesus Christ. How do you know that? Well, because of all the things that she has, she brings the impurities of the world, she brings the powers of the world. Where is the power in the world? In most places, is in religion, it's in politics. And when those two start to marry, you get a disastrous combination. Be very, very careful. Friends, I think the takeaway from this is simply that as we go forward is that temptation overpromises and underdelivers, but Jesus always stays faithful. Jesus never tells you something he's not going to do. Satan always tells you something he's going to do, and he never does it, or at least in the way he promised that he would. Trust your Savior. He is trustable. He is dependable. When the world offers you all the alluring things of this world are like the great story of Narnia. If you remember that story where they walk through the closet and young, one of the young boys goes and meets the ice queen. And when he meets the ice queen, he eats what's called a Turkish delight, the great things of, 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 of candy in the 40s when C.S. Lewis wrote the story. And he, get, he got all the Turkish delights he wanted so long as he did exactly what the ice queen wanted him to do. So Satan, in a much different way, a much higher way, as long as you follow after him, he'll give you all you want. But at the end, when you don't follow him, he's going to stop giving you what you want. And you're going to find this world is not really what it's made out to be. Friend, your greatest strength, your greatest hope is found in Jesus Christ, him and him alone, no more. That's number one, suggestive. I want you to see number two, this world is also savage, savage, just like it sounds, S-A-V-A-G-E, savage. Look at verse six. What is the purpose of this prostitute? Well, it says, and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus Christ. With This this Babylonianism, if you will, is driven by self-interest. This Babylonian person, this, this prostitute who represents all the evil of the world, is willing to use abortion, euthanasia, is willing to use genocide, is willing to use anything of this world to kill the people of God at any cost, no matter what it takes. Life is increasingly discounted that she is so drunk, she's drunk on the blood of the martyrs. You know, we'll often say to the winter weather, go home winter, you're drunk, get out of here. You know, we know what we mean by that. But this is an actual thing. When Satan wants to come after you, he goes after the people of God, even at the cost of their own life. Tertullian said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the saints. We know that John the Baptist died, Stephen died, James died, three right there in the New Testament, Antipas died. All these people who have given their life for Christ. And the more blood the world drinks, the more it wants, because it just can't get enough of it. Is this symbolic? Yeah, it is, but it's literal because the 20th century had more Christian deaths than all the centuries combined. And the 21st is already set to eclipse what we did in the 20th century. Friends, I think the, the, the fact of the matter is is that it may be your calling. It may not be to die for Jesus Christ. But we need to be in definite prayer for those who have given their life blood to give everything we now know here for Christ. Or as one person said, Winking at today's heresies is trampling on the graves of yesterday's martyrs. Let me say that again. Winking at today's heresies is trampling on the graves of yesterday's martyrs. Friends, people died to give their life to save this book from corruption. People died to give you the gospel message, not that it originated with them. They got it passed down like a relay runner. But people have given their lives for the sake of the gospel so you could hear the gospel. People went across in a, in a ship called the Mayflower to come to America to have religious freedom so they might worship God freely without the Church of England telling them what to believe. There were people before that who lived in caves and, 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 and way out places so that they could worship free. Look, wherever we are, we are always growing upon the foundation of the apostles and all those who've gone before. What legacy are you leaving for your children? If God called you to give the ultimate sacrifice to the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you, are you ready? Remember being a sophomore in high school, I know, dating myself in a young way, in 1999 when Columbine High School, the first major mass shooting of the modern era, happened. And when Dylan Klebel pointed a gun at one of the young ladies, Cassie, I don't remember her last name, sadly, we should know her name better than the killer's name, right? And said, do you believe in Jesus Christ as risen from the dead? And all witnesses there said, yes, I do. And out she went. And I remember thinking to myself, I could never do that. Friends, if your moment has ever called for you to give your ultimate sacrifice for Christ in accordance with the gospel, God will give you strength in that moment. He'll give you the words to say, But I want you to know that this world, Satan and all his minions would have nothing else than to take every Christian out, take them to hell with them and back if they could. Notice what your Bible says there. They are savage. They are drunk on the blood of the martyrs. What's a martyr? Martyr is just someone who dies for the Christian faith. Don't ever think that the church can be friends with the world. To be friend with the world is to be an enemy of God. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, there's nothing good in this world. Outside of God's grace, the only goodness is found in Jesus who gave his life for you and for me. Amen? And that's what we know. This world, it is, it is suggestive. It's savage. Number three, starting at the end of verse 6 down to verse 8, it is also stubborn. It's also stubborn. It's the third blank there. Look at the end of verse 6. When I saw her, when John saw the prostitute, the harlot, he marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast with the seven heads and ten horns that carries her. Verse 8, The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit. So go to destruction. And the dwellers of the earth whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world were marvel to see the beast because it was and it is not and it is to come. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Verse 17 says, The vision amazed John. John couldn't believe what he was seeing, how much evil, how much terribleness. John has never been amazed up to this point in the book of Revelation. John's seen a lot of stuff. But in verse 6, he was amazed, and the angel said he would explain what this is. Now, uh, what is this? Well, we don't know for sure. Again, we're going to plant our flag lightly here. But in verse 8, the beast at the end of verse 8 is kind of parodying or mimicking or miming a little bit of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did you notice that at the end of verse 8? It says, and it was and is not and is to come. Jesus is the one who was and who is and who is to come. Isn't it amazing that Satan can't even make up his own thing? He's got to do something that God has already done. You know, they say that's really what uh, academics are, people just copying each other's ideas, just putting their name on it. Maybe so. But friends, I want to tell you that this, this beast and this, this prostitute are so enticing that the world doesn't see it. That's why we can't expect non-Christians to do Christian things. Because Christians, we have been unveiled in our eyes, have we not? The scales, like Paul, have fallen off. We now see spiritual truths we've never seen before. You cannot force someone to be a Christian. Only God can change their hearts and unscale their eyes to see. But what is all this that's happening here? What we know is that we see that this this parody or this mimicking of of the real Christ that's happening through this, uh, this prostitute has happened now in chapter 13, chapter 14, now chapter 17. And what it's saying is, is that there are these antichrists, there are these evil people who over the centuries die, they rule, they draw people with them, and they seem to go away, but they keep popping up again and up again. The beast has been Egypt, the beast has been Persia, the beast has been Babylon, the beast has been Greece and Rome and the Ottomans. The beast here, the prostitute here, has been the Soviet Union, Communist China, even America and England and Australia and the Western worlds at times. Anytime the gospel and Christ are not exalted, we are in line with this harlot and all these different kingdoms that she represents. Don't think that our country is safe just because we have a supposed Christian heritage. Our country is no safer than any other country if we fall along with this prostitute. These leaders that it talks about, have been Nero, Domitian, Genghis Khan, Mussolini, Hitler, Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot, Kim, Second, Sung, I can't say it, North Korea dude, Saddam Hussein, you name it. Osama bin Laden, fill in the blank. Who are these people? Verses 6, we really don't know. And I'm not going to try and suggest to you, but what I think is getting the point across and what he's trying to tell you is that generation after generation has lived under the power and authority of the 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 ones this prostitute represents. Friends, we have been very blessed in our nation to be covered in a lot of ways by the freedoms we have, and we need to praise God for those, but don't ever think, just because we have God on our flag's little motto, that we are a Christian nation. We have killed millions of babies, we have broken dozens of families. We as Christians have settled for things of this world that are more important than things of God. Please don't think that we're any more of a Christian nation than any Israel that walked in the Old Testament that was under God's judgment. It is by God's grace that He has not Sodom and Gomorrah, any nation, including our own. And if we think any different of that, then we need to make, we need to remember that politics make a very weak messiah. But our Messiah is and was and is to come, and he reigns forevermore. Don't get attached to that guy or this guy. Get attached to the one who died for guys and gals and everyone in between. That's the one you need to be attached to. Look, this shows us that only God can keep us from the faith-destroying power of Satan. 1 John 2:17. the world is passing away with all its desires, but whoever does the will of God lives or abides forever. Church, if we could reclaim that power and authority that comes from knowing Jesus Christ, our lives, our churches, and dare I say our country would be safer. Someone asked me one time, why hasn't God brought the judgment on, guys, God has brought judgment on our nation. We declare things such as homosexuality and and all sorts of bestiality, all terrible things of this world as okay. Lot is in Genesis chapter 19, had compromised himself such that he called those men that were trying to break down his door and and do terrible things to the men that were in his house, brothers. Don't think just because you go to church and I go to church and we're part of a gospel-believing and preaching church that we can't be compromised for the gospel. We can be. It could be a love of sports. It could be a love of running. It could be a love of CCs. Amen? Whatever your thing is, it can take you away from the very things that God has for you. Babylonianism will not last. The American dream is headed for destruction, and that's exactly what it is. So this is also, it's its savage here. It's also uh, stubborn, but it's also strategic. Look at verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10. This, this, this world that's trying to take us away is also strategic. Verse 9 says, This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Because that clears it up, right? There are also the seven kings, five of whom fallen, one of whom the other is yet to come. And when he does, he must remain only a little while. Friends, this, there is a divine reason from this ebb and flow of history because history is his story. He is the Messiah here. And we, John tells us we need wisdom to unravel this. But again, there is no agreement among Bible scholars about who this represents. I'll give you some thoughts on it now. You can decide about it. But I want you to know this is not something that you should break fellowship over. It's not something that you should be like, oh, I can't trust. These are details we don't know in all detail. Does that make sense? And it's okay we don't. If God wanted to put specific countries here, he would have given us specific countries. If he wanted to say this was the European Union with the ten heads in 1981, he would have done that, but he didn't do that. He gives us generals so that we can trust him in the specifics when they come. We do not live on propositions. We live on promises by the word of God. And that's a big difference. You don't live on Hallmark card verses that you read on Facebook or social media that get you pumped up for the day. You live on the word of God. So we may not have all the details, but you need to know these are what some people thought. Most agree here that the seven heads probably refer to the seven mountains that surrounded Rome. Rome was known as the city on seven hills and it communicates power and authority. 17 verse 10 also says that uh, the seven heads were seven kings. Some some have tried to say these are seven emperors that lived before, like Daniel chapter two, we don't know. Most people agree that the five kings who have passed, you ready for this list, are Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. Some agree that the uh, number six, the, the one who is, is probably Rome that John was writing under, but no one agrees that Uh, technically about what's to come. It's probably the Antichrist. It's probably the, the, the evil system. But the point of it is, is exactly what was said. Notice what it says at the end of verse 10. He's not trying to get into the weeds of the details. Look what he tells you is going to happen to this kingdom. This kingdom's strategic. They're trying to rally all support against Christ. But notice it says it will remain only for a little while. God's plans are always better than the world's plans. God's plans stand forever; the world's plans fade away. That's the point. If you're an underliner, the end of verse ten, and He must remain only a little while. He doesn't want you to write a book about. I figured out who the seven kingdom, the kings, and the heads, and all. It's fine if you study that and you write about that. It's not a sin. But as we have said through this whole book, do not make a mountain out of a molehill. Do not minor major in the minors. Look at the big picture. What's the big picture? Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. What's the big picture? Christians are being persecuted. They need hope. And he tells them here, hang on a little while longer. It's not going to last. Friends, I don't care if Biden's in the office or Trump's in the office. It doesn't matter. They're not your savior. The savior says that's a kingdom that's going to go away, but my kingdom lasts forever. Hold on to me. You need to remember that if your guy wins or your guy loses it doesn't matter what matters is are you trusting God whether your economy's good or bad whether they're old and old or young it doesn't matter it's going to last for a little while are you hanging on to the one that does last for longer and forever it's really what this is all about God's will has a plan and it will endure and last forever they can be strategic all they want and they can be brilliant but it's never going to last. But Oh, but it seems to get stronger. Look at verses 11 through 13. Number five blank there is strong. We went from strategic in number four to strong in verse 11. As for the beast, that was and is not. It is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns you saw are ten kings who've yet to receive royal power, but they are to receive authority for kings for one hour together with the beast Verse 13, these are the one mind and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. Whatever this is, whatever this represents, whatever evil this contrives to be, it is strong. There's no doubt about that. It's not something you can oppose. It's not something I can oppose, but in God's power, we can by his grace. Verses 11 and 12 explain verses 9 and 10. The beast is said to belong to the seven kings. That seventh in my view, he's also an eighth, but it's, it, we're told in verse 8, the beast goes to destruction. Again, the kingdom will not last. His kingdom's going down. The ship is sinking. Do you remember on the Titanic? Some of you remember when the movie came out, uh, golly, 27 years ago. Has it been that long? And they had the real-life depiction of the um, orchestra players playing on the deck of the... T- I just cannot even imagine this. The ship is literally sinking. People are literally jumping off a ship into ice-cold waters, dying. And they are playing their tune. They did that to keep people calm. But it's such a vivid picture. Because when the world is sinking, everything seems to want to go along as things have always been. But friends, the kingdom that he's referring to here that's strong, once again, is going down. Verse 12 adds an additional detail. It says the ten horns are the ten future kings yet to receive authority. However, when they do again, notice that it's with one hour. And then the verse, uh, verse 13 says, the ten kings, whoever they are, will serve alongside the beast. He will hand them over their power and authority. The point of all this is, is that Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. It's this world is and its systems of evil opposed to God are influ, influential, they're powerful, they are intimidating and prosperous, and they are enticing and, and persuasive, and they will say, all aboard, get on here. If you want to be in this world and you want to make something in this world, join our ship. This is where it's at. Come with us. But God has won the victory, and we are called to stand. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that proverb that was quoted where Paul said, eat, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's the world's philosophy. And what he says here is that the get on board, worship the beast, whore with her prostitutes, live a wasted life, do it all. But God says, stand. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Friends, it's hard to be a Christian sometimes, isn't it? It It's hard because you have to stand in places and ways that you didn't think you would. But he says, this world is strong. But when you are weak, Christian, he is stronger. Praise God for that. This is not the winning team. It is headed for a defeat. And that's number six. Look at verse 14. I love this verse. If you say, is there any silver lining in all this? Yes, there is. Look at verse 14. He says, they will make war on the lamb. Who's the they? The kings, the all the representation of evil here, the beasts, the prostitutes, all this will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will what? Conquer them. If you're an underliner, underline that, highlight it, spit on it, Put whatever you got to do, just note it. He is, the lamb will conquer them. Why? He tells you. It's a, it's a, it's a causal statement here. He is the Say it with me, Lord of lords and King of kings. And those with him are three things, called, chosen, and faithful. You notice back in verse eight, I believe it was, where he said, if your name's not written in the Lamb's book of life, there's no hope for you. But friends, it all starts, your salvation starts with Christ. Everything is sourced back to Jesus. Notice it's him who conquers. Notice that it's him who wars. We have no part in this. We just get to stand by for the ride. It's almost like he he pulls up in a limo, if I could say such a thing. And he pulls up, and his assistant angels say, get on in there, and you step in, and he's in the driver's seat, and you're just along for the ride, man. You get all the benefits without any of the work. He's done it for you. If you're here today, and you think you can get to heaven by being good or trying hard enough or being sincere enough, this just throws that out the window. Notice what verse 14 says. They will make war on the Lamb, but the Lamb will conquer for he is Lord, he is king. But notice those three phrases there. You are called first off. Friends, before the foundation of the world, your name was called on the rolls of heaven if you are a Christian. Now, there, there, are few, there are many called, but there are few chosen, Jesus said. There's a general call. If you're here today, the call for you is to come to Jesus Christ. Everyone must turn to Christ and repent. Amen? But for those who receive it, there's a specific calling. There's a call that is irresistible that God calls you forth to, and you cannot go back on that. When he calls your name, you cannot run away from that. Like Jonah, he will find you, but he does so in love, amen? And he does it, but you're also chosen. That word chosen there means exactly what it means. God chose some to be saved, and he chose some that were not going to be saved. Why did he choose even one to be saved? For God so loved the world. He's a God of grace. Guys, we all deserve hell, don't we? Did you notice the two parts there? What are the two parts that God did? He called, he chose. What is your call? Look at the end of verse 14. It's to be faithful. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because he who began a good work in you will not leave you until without until the day of redemption. Work your salvation out. Look, if you're here today, I want you to know, if you're a Christian, your call is to be faithful. Not to be perfect, not to be successful, not to be whatever. It is to be faithful. What will God judge you on on Judgment Day? Your faithfulness. Church, I'm going to say a word to us as well. How do you know if Tower View Baptist Church has been successful? Because the membership has increased, the budget is up, the building plans are in process. It is faithfulness. Faithfulness equals success. Friends, we can have all the busyness of any Baptist church in the world, but if we are not faithful to do what God asks us to do, then we're not successful in His eyes. Parents raising kids, grandparents raising kids here, or those with grown kids here, they may walk away, but if you've tried to faithfully, in your strength, point them to Christ with prayers and tears and all the admonitions and joys and sorrows of a parent, your trust is not in your ability to change their heart. Your trust is in God's ability to change. To, to mold that and use that and draw them back through that. And church, that's the same thing for us too. We cannot make people believe Christ. The Inquisition and Crusades tried that. Let me tell you historically, that didn't work out so well. You cannot force someone to be a Christian, but God by his grace can call them and choose them and make them by his grace be faithful. Who Did you believe first? Or did, Well, let me ask that. Are you saved because you believed or are you saved because you're called? And the answer is in Nelson, yes. That's another sermon for another time. Last thing is this, we'll close with this. Notice the self-defeating, self-defeating that happens here in verses 15 through 18. And if you have your Bible, just follow along. We're gonna land it in the next few minutes with this. And the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute is seated are the peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And verse 16, and the 10 horns you saw, They're the beast, they'll hate the prostitute, they'll make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put into the hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that that has dominion over the kings of the earth. In chapter 17, what we see is that once again, God is in control. I'm not endorsing this movie, but several years ago, there was a movie called Pretty Woman where the man marries, um, he, takes, he, he pays for a harlot and eventually marries that prostitute or harlot. That is a Hollywood movie. That is not how life works. I want you to know that that happened here in Revelation chapter 17. Reality hits hard. They're awakened from their intoxicated state. The charm has faded. The affection affection now shifts to the Antichrist, and people are now seeing her for what she is, and everything she promised is coming to naught, and now the the ten kings and the beast stripper of all her ill-gotten wealth, they dismantle her power, and everything falls by the wayside. Their actions are going away. The point of all this is, is that God is the one in control, not this world, not Satan, not fate, not chance, not luck. It is God who is sovereign. Friends, did you notice that as we close? I'm not going to chase every detail of the last few verses, but did you notice in verse 16 into 17, God has put it into their hearts? Nelson noted wisely in our study guide that if you remember the, the, the Exodus and Pharaoh, God harden Pharaoh's heart? You notice in the end of verse 17, this will happen until the words of God are what? Fulfilled. Who is really in control of this whole entire world? It is it's God. That's it. So friends, two admonishing two things as we close. I want you to take caution. You need to remember to not be deceived by this world. You need to remember to be On guard against all worldliness, whatever that looks like for you. For some of you, it could be how you spend your time. For some of you, it could be how you spend your money. For others, it could be your relationships. There's so many blanks that could fill. But are you praying, God, in whatever I'm doing in my life, in my job, in my hobbies, in my in my downtime, in my on time, am I seeking to glorify You? Doesn't mean you have to pray every second of every day. Doesn't mean you have to read your Bible every second. But is your heart of heart seeking to glorify God with what He's given you and entrusted you with? Take caution. Because if Satan can get in there and twist that selfishly or twist that sinfully, he will. That same Titanic, as we know historically now, all it took was a little slice, not as big as the movie makes, just a little slice to knock that ship that would never sink down to the cold Atlantic in the mid-1910s. Friends, you may be as strong as strong as Christians, but oh, how the mighty fall. Pride cometh before fall. Be very, very careful. Take caution. Take caution also of compromise. Take caution to say, well, um, love will win, Pastor. Love won once, and it was at the cross of Jesus Christ. And there's a Bible-given love that is more than anything this world offers. Friends, be careful that the phrases of this world do not become the mantras of your life. The things of this world do not become and guide you more than the Scriptures guide you. Take caution that you're examining your heart before prayer. And I want to close with this last word. Take comfort. Don't despair. Despite the challenges, God will bring justice. God will set it right. God will set it forward. He's got this. I know. For you Super Bowl lovers, he's got us or he understands us. I don't even know what that ad campaign was that came up a couple weeks ago. Jesus gets us or something like that. Yeah, Jesus gets us. But Jesus gets us more than anything else. Take comfort knowing that if you're suffering, you're doing exactly what every Christian before you and after you until kingdom come will do. Friends, this world is not your home. But it doesn't mean we don't share the gospel and love people in this world. We should do that well. God's love says he'll never leave you nor forsake you and the victory has already been won. But be very careful. When the black widows of this world try to take you down and allure you in, You need to pray for all wisdom. And church, can I just say a word for us as well? Whoever fills this pulpit, for whoever long fills this pulpit, you need to know that the word of God needs to be preached. Your job to check everything that is said from this pulpit or the stage is on you more than anything else. Don't let this world challenge that in any different way. Guys, God wins. Take comfort in that. I can smell the food, and so can you. And there is comfort, and there is also caution that you need to take in about 15 minutes. Amen? But God is good. Let's go before the Lord as we pray, and we'll invite our worship team up as we close out today. Let's go before our Lord. Father, these chapters do not get any easier. Lord, I confess that it's it's just pride to try and figure out every detail here. It doesn't mean they're not important. You've put them there to be sure. But Father, we definitely thank you that you are the one who has been guiding the ship of this world. You're the one that's been guiding the ship of our lives. You're the one who's at the helm. You're in the driver's seat. Father, it may seem at times that we take control of the wheel or the the mast for a a while, but ultimately, Lord, we know that you are sovereign and in control. Yet, Lord, we thank you we are not puppets on a string, that you give us freedom of choice and freedom to obey or not obey. But, Father, we pray that we would choose the things that are wise and godly. Father, we pray as we just look across this world and look across our lives that we're grateful, Lord, that we have the perfect example, your son, that while he was tempted, did not sin. And while Satan gave him all the offerings that all this world could want, all the things that represent Revelation 17, he said, no, but I will seek to my father's business first. Lord, may we be about that as well. Father, I thank you for this church. I know in many ways, because we know the folks of this church, the members especially, that, Lord, we know that they're so faithful. They're so good, and their desire is to honor you. So, Lord, would you continue to engage that? Father, there's any among us that are regular or visiting that don't know you, may this be the day they come to Christ. Father, thank you that we can even come to you, and once again because of Christ. Father, for all the things in our minds, all the worries in our hearts, all the trials that we feel and face, and all the joys that we have in between. We praise you today. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.